Chapter 6 Preparing for dinner that night was a slightly awkward event. Remus returned from the orchard to help Molly prepare the meal, while Sirius took up the offers from the kids to join them for a few Quidditch drills before the sun fully set. Remus stepped in the kitchen to find Molly at the counter, a knife chopping vegetables on its own, her face a little pink from staring into a boiling pot of potatoes. She looked up when he entered and straightened. Need any help with the roast, Molly? Remus asked her mildly. Molly Weasley looked at the tall, lean, scarred man standing in her kitchen, his head bowed slightly so as not to brush the wood rafters of the ceiling. His prematurely lined face looked at her calmly, but his brown eyes were a little weary. It was so hard, she thought, because she genuinely adored the man. He had been a truly excellent professor of defense against the dark arts. Her kids respected and revered him. Harry loved him with his whole heart. He was capable and wise and witty. She greatly enjoyed talking to him, and she liked that he also was a proper cook like she was. Did she pity him for his condition? Yes, though she'd sworn to herself she'd never let him see. Did she think the lycanthropy meant that he wasn't fit to be around Harry? She was torn. You could help fix the rub, she answered Remus Lupin, and pointed to the sauces and spices waiting on the counter for the pork roast. Remus nodded and went over to the ingredients, beginning to sort them with his long, deft, and scarred hands. So you're moving to Hogsmeade with Sirius? She said, taking the chopped vegetables from under the now still floating knife and then on the baking sheet, putting them in the oven underneath the roast. Yes, Remus said, again in a mild tone. I said what I think, she said. I won't repeat it. They were quiet for a while. Remus finished the spread and then turned to the pudding that evening. Strawberry ice cream. He used his wand to set a knife to chopping fresh strawberries to add to the ice cream, and Molly drained the water from the pot, the potatoes done. What you told me at Harry's party, Remus spoke, leaning one hip on the counter and crossing his arms, turning to look at her. It was very kind, Molly. Well, I meant it, she glanced up. But Harry gets enough torment from the press as is. The news last year when Sirius escaped, and we all thought he was out to kill Harry. That ate at the boy. And now there's this. She did not mention her own conflictions. Remus nodded, looking a little sad. It's not just in the media sphere. He'll have to deal with it at Hogwarts, too. All the students know, of course. And now they know I'm in his company. Some of them, I'm sure, will have opinions in line with Rita Skeeter. Molly waited. She had caught on to that fact, too, of course. Remus's eyes focused fully on her. Don't think I haven't considered things much the same as you, Molly. But my place is with them, and it won't do to insist I stay away. Sirius and I'll deal with the press, and Harry has proven he can handle naysayers. Molly sighed and turned back to the potatoes, drying them on a tea towel. Well, all right then, Remus. She was still uncertain, but knew it was a losing battle for now. Dinner was decidedly not awkward. Arthur arrived just as the table was set, Percy an hour before him, and they each looked a little haggard, tucking eagerly into the food and launching into explaining the mayhem at the ministry. Molly sat herself purposely beside Remus and made light conversation with him and Sirius. The kids all kept stealing weary glances at Sirius, but he was exhilarated from their quidditch drills before dinner and talked with them determinedly about their upcoming school year. After a few bowls each of strawberry ice cream, the kids were all looking quite content and sleepy, 
and Molly herded them up for an early bed, considering the long day and night they had the day before. Remus and Sirius did the washing up, urging Molly to go to bed herself. She'd had a rough morning, worrying about them all. The dishes drying, Remus and Sirius turned to head up the stairs to Bill's old room. I got a minute to spare, Arthur suddenly asked them, looking up from the parchment he was writing on at the end of the now-empty kitchen table, having brought some of his work home with him. Sirius's brow furrowed, and he frowned. Sure, Arthur, Remus told him, although he was exhausted and heavily disinclined to have a repeat conversation like the one they'd had with Molly before dinner. Arthur took off his glasses and rubbed the bridge of his nose before putting them back on and standing. He also looked knackered, but when he glanced at the two men again, he was smiling kindly. How about we sit in the back garden? Lovely night out, he said, gesturing to the back door. Remus raised one eyebrow, but nodded, and followed Sirius and Arthur outside into the early night. The air was fair and fresh, not too chilly yet. The sky was sprinkled with stars the moon basking the back garden in silver light. Arthur led them a ways away from the house to the herb garden. Sitting down on a tree trunk, Isremus and Sirius sat on the low brick wall around the herb plot. Sirius crossed his arms, still frowning, while Remus leaned forward, putting his elbow on his knees and clasping his hands, waiting. Arthur smiled so warmly at them that Sirius's frown suddenly faded and a look of confusion took over his face. Arthur, still smiling, took his wand out of his sleeve and waved it in the air, murmuring, Muffolito, a spell which muffled their words from any potential eavesdroppers. I know it's been a long last two days, Arthur said. You're both probably as dead on your feet as I am. But I thought I could lift both of your spirits a bit, take some weight off your shoulders. Sirius and Remus waited, both with a brow raised. I don't give a damn about the press or you living with Harry and Sirius, Remus. In fact, I think it's brilliant. I think there's nowhere else I'd rather you be. I think that you're both the best guardians Harry Potter could ever have. And I know you both love him. And I know you both love each other. And I know it goes far beyond the bounds of friendship. In fact, I reckon it's as deep as love can go, isn't it? Sirius and Remus stared at him. Arthur smiled at their masked faces. Come on now, boys. I think it's bloody brilliant. I can't say how happy I am for you both, considering all you went through in the last 13 years. Sirius cleared his throat. You, uh, figured it out when I said he was moving to Hogsmeade with me, didn't you? Arthur grinned. That certainly put the pieces together. Seems we're not as subtle as we think, Sirius, Remus said, smiling softly. Sirius barked a laugh, running his hand through his hair. Seems so. Does Harry know? Arthur asked. Not that it's my place to say, but I think it would make it easier for both of you if he knew. And Harry could have no better role models for love. I know that. Remus stared at Arthur, feeling his eyes go slightly wet. Arthur looked at him, slightly taken aback. It was quite something to see Remus Lupin have tears in his eyes. Oh, Remus breathed shakily and bowed his head as feeling rose in his chest. Sirius reached for his hands, squeezing it as Remus took a breath and lifted his head again, eyes still misty. Harry knows, Sirius told Arthur. He figured it out on his own, too. Not as discreet as we used to be, eh, Mooney? He said, looking up now to meet Remus's eyes. Certainly not, Remus told him, voice a little hoarse. Arthur smiled at them once more. Well, 
That's all. I just wanted to tell you I know, so you won't need to bother with hiding it around me. There's Molly, of course. Reckon I should tell her, or you too. Sirius turned his head back to Arthur, brow furrowing slightly. Might be best coming from you. Then he quickly turned to Remus. You reckon so, Mooney? Remus nodded, still a bit too overcome to speak. Arthur clasped his hands. Well, I won't be speaking to her about it tonight. I need some proper rest. Don't worry a bit about this, boys. Now, I best get in. I'll see you in the morning. Good night, Arthur, Remus croaked as Arthur stood. Night, boys, Arthur said, giving them a parting smile and walking back towards the house. Remus and Sirius sat on the low herb garden wall under the starry night sky. Sirius leaned into Remus, and Remus wrapped his long arms around him. Sirius looked up and met his eyes, and reached his face up to kiss Remus gently on the lips, taking one hand and wiping away a single stray tear that had fallen down Remus's cheek. That was quite nice, Sirius murmured. So sweet a man could get a toothache. Remus smiled softly at him. It was, wasn't it? The rest of the week passed amicably. Arthur decided to wait to tell Molly until Sunday night, their last night before the kids left for Hogwarts and Remus and Sirius for Hogsmeade. Since he and Percy were busy all week and weekend at the ministry, dealing with the follow-up from the events of the Quidditch World Cup, Molly went to Diagon Alley to gather the kids' school supplies. Taking Sirius's bag of galleons for Harry as Sirius told her that she should also use it to buy her kids' first-hand books. She blushed and tried to argue, but he insisted, and she finally relented. As she was about to depart, she called Sirius and Remus over and showed them the Hogwarts school supply list for that year. Each student was requested to bring dress robes. Huh, Sirius said. That wasn't on last year's list, was it, Mooney? Remus shook his head, confused. Maybe they're planning a ball of sorts. Well then, make sure you get some first-hand robes for all the kids, Molly, Sirius told her. During the day, the kids played Quidditch in the orchard, or chased gnomes around the back garden, or threw sticks for Padfoot. Fred and George had thought Padfoot was bloody amazing, and hammered Sirius with so many questions that eventually Molly shouted at them about how dangerous the animagus process could be and how they better not get any ideas, and how enormously illegal it was for Sirius to have done it underage, and that even when they were of age, she would be sure to still be standing in the way of that. Sirius smiled sheepishly at the twins and whispered, Later. And then they got to talking with him about their dream of opening a joke shop. Weasley's wizard wheezes, showing him the remaining magical candies that their mother hadn't yet disposed of. Remus saw Sirius sneakily give them each a handful of galleons for their orders. Remus would sit and watch the kids and Sirius play Quidditch while reading, and more often than not, Hermione would join him with the standard book of spells, Grade 4. She blushed furiously as she first came to sit beside him, but slowly the blush would fade as she got more comfortable. Every now and then, they'd break from their reading and talk, Hermione would ask him questions and advice about the spells mentioned in the book that she'd be learning that year, and Remus told her that he was reading up on the history of Hogsmeade, winking at her as he told her that he knew more than any book about the Forbidden Forest, but had to learn more about the village. He spread his book wider for her to see the page detailing the shrieking shack, a long-abandoned, dilapidated wooden house on a hill on the outskirts of Hogsmeade. 
The shack became haunted in 1971. The nature of the particular violent spirits, which could be heard at least every four weeks from 1971 to 1978, are still up for debate among scholars. Though the shrieking shack has since fallen silent, and no reported screams from within the wall since June 1978, locals and visitors of Hogsmeade are warned to never enter its walls for fear of reviving what lies within. Hermione's face had paled as she read, and she looked up at Remus with wide brown eyes. Her brow furrowed, and she opened her mouth before closing it again, looking thoughtful. You can say anything to me, Hermione, Remus assured her. Color returned to her face as she blushed and took an exhale, collecting herself. I was just thinking, well, will you be using the shack again this year? It might be suspect that the shack stood silent for so many years. And then, well, if the screams come back, she looked at him apologetically and continued, and the locals will surely recognize you after the article in The Prophet. It mentioned the years you were at Hogwarts, Hermione trailed off. The very werewolf who taught the current student body of Hogwarts defense against the dark arts without their parents' consent also walked among the students of Hogwarts as one of them from 1971 to 1978. The article had stated, Do you think they'll figure it out? Remus asked her calmly. She nodded, eyes still wide, looking at him. Remus smiled at her. Well, I don't plan on using the shack this year. There's no need. I can transform in the forest now with Padfoot. Besides, I don't think they'd give much mind if they ever did find out the reason for the name The Shrieking Shack, considering if they found out, they'd also be occupied by the fact that they're living in close quarters with a werewolf in the village. Hermione's face quickly washed over in worry. Oh, Remus. Don't worry, Hermione. He patted her lightly on her small shoulder. I won't be seen out in the village. She frowned, looking indignant. But you were just saying how much you love going as a student. You love the three broomsticks and the little museum they built a few years ago. You just read up on it. It's not fair. You shouldn't have to stay away. Remus smiled wryly at her. Have you heard of glamour spells, Hermione? On Saturday, it rained all day, and everyone but Arthur and Percy, who unfortunately were called into work that weekend, played wizard's chess in a tournament. They all watched enthralled when Sirius and Remus played each other for the winning game. Sirius, of course, charmed the pieces to swear. Wanker, or arsehole. The kids snickered, Molly frowned, and Remus smiled serenely. Sirius made verbal commentary throughout the game. Oh, thinks he's sly, does he? He'd say with a wicked grin, blocking Remus's maneuver. Remus just smiled and winked at Harry. Finally, Sirius's queen fell, and he flipped the board over in a show of mock sore losing, before smiling hugely at Remus and crowing how he'd never be able to beat Mooney in chess. If I ever let him play the morning after a full moon, he'd still have me by the bollocks in good time. Everyone's faces but Harry paled at that reference. But as Harry was now used to the Marauder's humor, he just grinned and pounded Remus congratulatory on the back. Sunday night dinner time came and went, and Arthur and Percy had not yet returned home. Molly sat agitated in the living room, glancing repeatedly to her enchanted clock to see if their hand had moved from work to traveling. The twins and Sirius were huddled in the corner of the room, whispering over a piece of parchment. I said no idea, Sirius, Molly said sharply, catching on to them. 
Sirius winked at the twins and took his leave from them. Grinning at Molly, he strode over to perch himself on the arm of the chair Remus was seated in, reading his old battered copy of Wide Sargasso Sea. Harry was polishing his firebolt by the fireplace with the broomstick servicing kit Hermione had got him for his 13th birthday. Ron and Ginny were playing gobstones, and Hermione was engrossed in her fourth-year spellbook, comparing the text with the parchment Remus had written her with the tips and tricks for the spells. Oh, they're on their way, Molly exclaimed suddenly as she saw Percy's and Arthur's clock hands move to traveling. A second later, they went to home as they apparated, and they heard the back door open into the kitchen. Molly stood and rushed out to greet her husband and son, casting a warm charm with her wand over the waiting dinner plates. Well, that's fat really in the fire now, Arthur sighed, carrying his plate to join them in the living room and collapsing onto the sofa. Percy came to sit in the spare armchair as Molly joined her husband on the sofa. Rita Skeeter has been ferreting around all week, looking for more ministry mess-ups to report. He looked up from his plate, his eyes going to Remus and Sirius. Remus closed his book silently. I'm afraid it's quite well known. I was seated near you both and Harry at the cup, Arthur continued. She finally managed to corner me in the atrium on my way to disapparate. The kids looked up from their various activities. Harry's hands froze on his broom handle. I didn't say a word to her, of course, Arthur said, his voice betraying his irritation, which was immediately joined by his muttering, vile woman, under his breath, before saying louder. She's muckraking for something to fuel her implications for an investigation, but she seems to have hit a dead end. Harry's shoulders sagged in relief, and Sirius loosened beside Remus and she'll stay there if she knows what's good for her, he said hotly. Sirius and Remus had been plotting in their bed each night for a way to get back at Rita Skeeter and the profit for publishing the article, but they hadn't latched onto the right idea yet. Besides, they kept getting distracted by the mischief in each other's eyes. They always did like the sight of the other plotting pranks. They were marauders after all. Soon, Arthur had eaten, and Molly ushered the kids up to bed. Night, Sirius. Night, Remus. The kids chorused as they took the stairs. Harry at the back of the group so he could give Sirius his nightly hug good night. Remus was always less physical with his affection, with both Sirius and Harry. Except, of course, with his physical affection was Sirius in private. Harry had only seen Remus hug Sirius one time, when Sirius had returned from Peter's trial. Remus's tight embrace of Harry and Sirius in the clearing that night with the dark mark in the sky had significantly surprised Harry, and told him how worried Remus had been about them. But now, Harry turned to Remus on the landing and gave him a tight goodnight hug as well. It had been a wonderful week with the Weasleys for Harry, but he knew Remus and Sirius were still wrung out from the vents at the cup and with that horrid woman's article. Remus hugged Harry back, and Harry found that he was quite warm. His body definitely ran hotter than Sirius's. Harry stepped out of the hug, gave them both a wave, and went upstairs to Ron's room. Remus was folding the last of his clothes into his trunk for the journey tomorrow, reaching for the pajamas he'd laid out to sleep in tonight, as Sirius lounged on Bill's transfigured bed, watching him. When Remus straightened, there were footsteps in the living room on the floor below, and now going up the stairs. They were hurried and gaining in volume as if the person were stopping. Sirius, the bed! Remus began, but it was too late. Their bedroom door burst open and Molly Weasley stood in the doorway. 
Remus could now hear a second set of footsteps running up the stairs, chasing after her, but too late. You too, she cried, her finger pointing at Remus and Sirius. Her eyes flashed between the two of them, her voice thick with passion. Arthur appeared at her shoulder in the doorway, gasping for breath, and with a worried look on his face. Remus was reaching for his wand, meaning to cast a silencing spell, when Molly ran at him and threw her arms around his neck. Remus staggered back a bit, not from the impact, but from shock. Molly had been completely flabbergasted when Arthur had first told her, but as she sank numbly to sit on the edge of her and her husband's bed, she had listened to his stories from the Quidditch World Cup, and all of her conflictions vanished. It had been right in front of her eyes, and she hadn't seen it. But now, with the moments Arthur had witnessed shared to her, it felt so blaringly obvious. They love each other, Molly. Arthur had said, and I've never seen anything quite like it. In Bill's old room, Molly pulled away from hugging Remus, wiping under his eyes, sniffling. Oh, you beautiful, foolish boys. Arthur stepped into the room, smiling hugely. Sirius jumped up from the bed and came to stand beside Remus and Molly. All right there, Molly? He asked her with a grin, putting his hand on the small of Remus's back. She swatted his chest. You two know how to keep people on their toes, she said before looking up to Remus's face. I'm so sorry, Remus, for what I said about keeping your distance. I mean, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me, Remus, serious. Of course, forgiven, Molly, Remus smiled down at her. Forgiven, Sirius told her. Molly strained her nightrobe and stepped back toward the door and Arthur her face flushing a bit as she took in the transfigured bed, taking up most of the room. She gave a shaky laugh and smiled. Well, better get rid of that cot, shall I? 